Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from the Maine Community Foundation, working with donors and other partners to improve the quality of life for all Maine people on the web at maincf.org. It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Coastal Conversations with your host Natalie Springle is up next. Good morning and welcome to Coastal Conversations here on WERU. We explore issues facing Maine's coastal communities through dialogue with people who live, work, and play on our coast. From fisheries to tourism, from energy to environment, from economy to ecology, we go beyond the social media sound bites, probing deeply into complex issues and solutions. Coastal Conversations is produced with the help from the University of Maine Sea Grant program, whose mission is to support Maine's coastal communities through research, outreach, and education. In partnership with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and the University of Maine, Maine Sea Grant brings marine science to Maine people. We're about to engage in the heart and soul of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our coast and our communities. This is Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant, and I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour of Coastal Conversations. So this morning, our show is about paddle safety, sea kayak safety, with a particular focus on cold water. Um, Days like today sort of bring home the purpose of this particular show is to give some information about how to be safe out there on the water um, as summer starts approaching. So the weather is getting warmer, and many of us in Maine are anxious to get our boats and our kayaks in the water. But boating safety advocates remind us that ocean temperatures take a lot longer to warm up than the air. So today, we'll explore concerns related to cold water boating and how to prepare for safe and enjoyable adventures on the ocean and lakes of Maine. I'm excited about my guests in the studio today. Um, We have a couple people here today, and we'll have somebody on the phone later. Um, We are joined by Petty Officer Mike Miller from the U.S. Coast Guard. He's the operations officer at Southwest Harbor Coast Guard Station. Um, And we have Karen Francoeur of Casting Kayak Adventures in the studio with us today. Hi. Um, Petty Officer Miller. Hi, Natalie. Thanks for having us. It's uh, this is a great opportunity to to really start the season. So great. We look forward to sharing our message. Great, great to have you. And hi, Karen. Great to have you too. Hi, Natalie. It's great to be here too. It's always important to think about paddling at this time of year and think about how to do it safely. Great. Yeah. Great. And then later on in the show, we'll be joined by Maria Janess, who is the president of the Maine Association of Sea Kayak Guides and Instructors and also works for the Maine Island Trail Association. So she'll be joining us a little bit later. So um, let's jump in. Our topic today is talking about how to be safe on the water. Um, Days like today when it's 50 degrees out and misty and cold and rainy um, are good examples of days where we have to pay attention to the environment. Um, Before we jump in, let's find out a little bit more about our guests, who they are and how did they get to the work that they do. So Karen, you run an outfitter in Castine. Tell us a little bit about your business and how you got into this work. Well, when you did your introduction about people working and playing in the environment, that's what I do. I work and play in the environment. Um, I really started out in environmental education 
and taking kids on the river and teaching them about the environment. And somehow that transformed itself into Casting Kayak Adventures. And I've been running my company for 21 years now. This will be my 21st season in casting, which is amazing. Um, I'm a master Maine Sea Kayak Guide. I run guide training programs, so I've trained many guides in the state of Maine. And we also run all kinds of educational classes. Really, our main focus really is teaching people to be safe paddlers. But we offer tours all summer long, too, that are awesome. And our real key is we do these nighttime bioluminescence tours. So... Um, sharing what I love safely. Great, great. That sounds great. And uh, Petty Officer Mike from the Coast Guard, tell us a little bit about your um, trajectory that got you to the Coast Guard and how you ended up in Southwest Harbor. Well, who doesn't love the water? You know, first of all, I'm a Florida native and uh, growing up on the water, you know, the Coast Guard was, you know, seemed to be the perfect fit for me. Uh, and then here we, I come to Southwest Harbor and, uh, by means of uh, Charleston, South Carolina was my last duty station. Beautiful place, but I can honestly tell you that uh, Southwest Harbor is, is a gem. And uh, I absolutely love it. Been here two and a half years. Beautiful place. Um, beautiful. So many things to, you know, to do, uh, obviously, on the water, whether it be uh, kayaking or, or uh, hiking or whatever it may be. Um, but uh, really love the area. It's, uh, it's great. And it's great to, you know, to be around so many people that have such a love for the, um, for the outdoors, but specifically for the water sports. And, you know, part of my job. Uh, what I do uh, at the Coast Guard is I'm the operations petty officer, uh, and, and if you will, that uh, a small piece of that is education and outreach. So, kind of what we're doing today is we want to get the message out. We want to share the message that uh, you know safety is uh, is everyone's priority, and, and you shouldn't take it for granted. You shouldn't ne- never uh, become complacent, uh, no matter what the conditions are. Perfect example is today. You know, it's expected to be, you know, 55, 60 degrees, whatever it may be. But on my drive here, you know, one of the big concerns were, you know, is, is um, um, you know, the fog. Yeah, you know, it was foggy. Co- exactly. You know, driving here, there was quite a few uh, times and, you know, the visibility was less than a quarter of a mile. You know, and you have to t- translate that when you're out on the sea as well, you know, whether you're in a, a kayak or boat or whatever it may be. And, and then don't forget the water temperature. As we're, we're going to talk about today and, and, and start in a moment, it's 41 degrees right now. So uh, keep that in mind anytime you go out in the And for, uh, for our listeners who might be sort of only peripherally familiar with the scope of what the Coast Guard does, can you just sort of paint a picture of the role of the Coast Guard on the coast of Maine? Oh, well, we have, I believe it's nine uh, stations. Uh, I believe it's nine stations up and down the down east uh, uh, coast of Maine. And, you know, the, the first and foremost everybody thinks of is search and rescue, uh, which is our primary responsibility. Um, ports and waterways, coastal security. Um, you know, we have our, our marine environmental uh, protection agencies, you know, our MSD in Belfast, our commercial, uh, our commercial uh, our waterways um, outfits. And there, there's so many different scopes that, you know, the Coast Guard does, you know, branch into but uh primarily at our station you know it's search and rescue and ports and waterways coastal security 
Great, thanks. And uh, likewise, let's ask Karen a scope question. Give us. You've been. You've been. Uh, you said twenty-one years. You've been running twenty-one a, years. A I can't outfitter. believe it. That's a chunk of time. So yeah. you've seen some changes and some um, evolution in the industry as a tour operator and as a person involved in teaching about safety on the water. Um, give us a little bit of your observations of sort of the scope of how big is sea kayaking on the coast of Maine. I think sea kayaking on the coast of Maine is quite big. Um, I mean, you'll notice when you see cars in the summertime, every car has a kayak on the roof of, you know, on their roof. I remember when I first started kayaking, nobody had kayaks. People would stop me and say, oh, my gosh, aren't you afraid that you're going to get stuck in there? And then what happened was they started making kayaks bigger. And more education went out and more people started to learn about it. Old Town Canoe started building kayaks. Um, some of the evolution that I've seen, and one of the reasons that I'm really excited to be on this show is to talk about the safety of kayaking, because I think what, what's happened in Maine is a lot of people have come from a canoeing background. And then when kayaks came into being, they were similar to canoes, but different. And in Maine, we also have a lot of lakes. So people paddle on lakes, and then they want to take their lake canoe or kayak onto the ocean. And really understanding the differences I think is really important. Um, when I started guiding, we didn't even have a designation for sea kayak guiding as a main guide. There, we were recreation guides. And then I think it was around probably 1997 when that designation was brought in, which was great because then we began educating about sea kayaks and how they're different from canoes and how if you're far from land, you need to think about things like the fog that we have out there today or you have to really know how to navigate. So I, in my 21 years, I've definitely seen a boom of kayaking. But one of the things that we'll talk about hopefully a little bit later are how the kayaks are designed. So for a long time, there were kayaks that were designed that were open So there were no bulkheads, there were no sealed compartments, and there was no flotation. And I've been doing demonstrations for most of the years I've been guiding on safety. And one of the things that I've found is it's pretty hard now to find newer kayaks without bulkheads, which I'm very, very pleased about. And can you explain what bulkheads are? Yeah, so bulkheads are really, they're compartments at the bow and the stern of a kayak. So if you have a kayak that's open all the way from bow to stern, even if it has like a foam block in there, if water can enter into the front and the back of the kayak, then the kayak can submerge so far underwater, it won't sink if it's plastic. If it's fiberglass, it could sink, or if it's Kevlar, it could sink. But if it's plastic, it's going to float, but it might not float high enough for an individual to be able to get into the boat and out of the water. So one of the things that I really like to inform people about, and I would never want to see anyone on the water without bulkheads on the ocean or really any distance from land, unless you have some sort of flotation, um, because the boat will fill with water. And you just can't get in out of the water. So sometimes I've been on the ocean and seen families with their kids in boats that don't have flotation. And I always stop them and say, you know, where did you get your boat? And, you know, I'm a, I'm a master main guide and, you know, I, I could give you a little information. And it's always a fine line that you walk when you try to help someone. But in general, I always get a thank you. And people generally get right back to land. So you really want to think about your vessel. And that's a change that I think I've seen. I've seen a lot more. It's been a hard 
thing to really have people be informed about that and really understand that. But that is such a key thing. Wearing your life jacket and having bulkheads is very important. If you even look at the canoe races now, I'm involved in the Orono Paddlers and um, we have a macro, which is a uh, main association of canoe and kayak racing organization. And if you look at the Kanduskeg canoe race and some of the races now, you'll notice that even the canoes have big float bags in the middle. When you capsize a canoe you without flotation, your boat is full of water. So it's, you know, if you're near land, it's fine. But if you had that canoe on the ocean, that's not a safe vessel. So I, I have really seen that change. I've seen a, a really, and I'm really pleased with that change. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so you've talked about boats that can fill up with water, which um, the water's cold in Maine, right? So especially even in on lakes. season, even on lakes. Um, so uh, Petty Officer Mike, tell us a little bit about what, um, about sort of the things to be aware of related to water and the chances we take when we go into the water um, maybe unexpectedly when a boat overturns. Sure, and, and thanks, Karen. That was that is a great segue into talking a little bit more about water temperature in in life vests and stuff like that. Um, nice, uh, that's phenomenal. And you know, again, as I said earlier in the show, the very first thing that uh, that you should be cognizant of anytime you go out. Bef- and keep in mind that's before you leave your house. Okay, is water temperature. Water temperature. You know, know what it is. Dress appropriately. Don't leave your house unless you're prepared and or return water, it, well exactly. <laughs> or go back for something <laughs> exactly or you know go back you know um if you get down there you, you know you realize it take the extra time to uh dress appropriately and as we said uh initially the you know current water temperature today is 41 degrees okay so what does that mean to the average person you know honestly they're probably not thinking about it um but you know a very vague statistic if you will uh water temperature between 41 and 33 degrees, or I can say the, uh, the other way is between 33 and 41 degrees, your average survival time is approximately one hour. Okay, now that that's not necessarily, and I, I can't say that's with this particular type of suit on or this, you know, not wearing this particular type of suit, but that's just the statistics. The table below um, that I'm, that I'm referencing to is uh, cold water information given, given out by the Coast Guard. And, and that's a, that's a, that's an astonishing number. If you think about it, can you repeat that, Um, that statistic? Water temperature that is 33 to 41 degrees. The average survival time is one hour. And there's, there's different ones, you know, that, uh, that is given, you know, water temperature between zero and 32, it, the average, uh, survival time is approximately 15 minutes. Wow. Okay. Um, it goes on up the list, water temperature from 42, that's between 42 and 50 degrees. Your average is one to two hours. And likewise, if you get from 51 to 59, your average survival time is three to five hours. Now, why is this all important? Well, we're in Maine. We're in town east Maine, okay? It's 41 degrees right now. Well, guess what the water temperature is? And I'm going to turn I'm, – I'm, I'm actually going to put you on the spot, Karen. Here you go. Uh-oh. I'm is, scared. <laughs> what would you think the water temperature is in July? I think it's about 60 to 65. Okay. That's, that's a great guess. You know, I will say it's I a hope great I'm right. guess. Well, you're actually on the higher end. 
Okay. But the average for 2016, the low water temperature in July was 49 degrees, and the high was 61. Where was that measured? Uh, now, that I don't have the statistics. This is, this is uh, all coming from uh, the National Weather Service, uh, basically, you can, which is another great resource. You can go to National Weather uh, Service, Alec, uh, Caribou, and these statistics are directly off their, right. uh, their website. But uh, you, you lead further into it, and, you know, May – for example, May, people don't realize it may be 65, it may be 70 degrees, you know, outside air temperature, but the water temperature is still 42 to potentially 50 degrees. And, right. and, and you don't think about that. You know, it's not till potentially November-ish, September, October, you know, even in November, it can be 53, but really September is around that 61 to 65 degrees. And one of the things that you find when you're looking at that water temperature, when we're paddling in Castine... If it's low tide in some of the coves, the water's warmer. But then when we cross the bay mid-channel, I'll say to people, put your hand in the water here. And they put their hand in, and it's freezing because it's it's deeper water. So it really depends on what the tide's doing and whether you're up in an inner estuary or where you are. One of the things that we want to do with the Castine kids this summer is measure the water temperature in all the different places. And really get us have them get a sense of what that water temperature really is, because sometimes people lose sight of that. Like in Maine, we don't actually swim in the ocean. We really jump in the water and jump out like swimming is, you know, you coming from Florida and South Carolina. Is it South Carolina? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Your water's a little warmer there. Absolutely. I was in Florida the past two and a half weeks and, you know, it was very comfortable. Obviously, it's 88 and sunny, yeah. but uh, very comfortable to uh, to be swimming out in the ocean and, you know, doing a little bit of surfing with my daughter. And, you know, it was phenomenal. You know, we could go out in just shorts and it was it was just comfortable. Right. Like you said, here, what do we do? We jump in, we jump right exactly. back Exactly. But people can become hypothermic in warm water in florida people get hypothermic i you can get hypothermic in panama if you spend too much time in the water it's still cold and one thing that i'll just add to your cold water thing is when people are thinking about whether or not the water is cold i run rescue classes and teach people how to re-enter their boats and we or i also do rolling clinics and often we use a pool and I always say to people, you know, wear a wetsuit or wear long pants and a warm top. And they're like, we're going to be in a swimming pool. It's going to be warm. Well, I can tell you, the people that don't dress, even in a swimming pool, end up being blue if they're not properly dressed. And I think that really drives home the message for people that, wow, if I'm cold in a swimming pool where I would swim, imagine how cold you'd be in the ocean. And I don't know how warm swimming pools generally are, but they're, you know... Right. 70s, I think. Exactly, Karen. And, and, and a great segue into, and I think it'd be a great time to, you know, just basically read off the clinical definition of what, you know, hypothermia is. And, and for, for most people, um, the, the simple term is, you know, hypothermia occurs as your body temperature passes below 95 degrees. And that doesn't really take much, you know, you, you, to, to drop your core temperature that much. But hypothermia is a medical emergency that occurs when your body loses heat faster then it can produce heat. So you're exactly right, Karen. It doesn't necessarily, the water doesn't have to be 40 degrees. It could be 70 degrees and you could uh, be suffering from a hypothermic state. Right. So, so how does that translate into what you recommend people wear when they venture out in the different seasons? So this time of year, when I'm kayaking on the ocean, I'm wearing a dry suit. And I think sometimes people think that a dry suit... Um, keeps you warm and dry. 
A dry suit keeps you dry. And so, what, how do, what is a dry suit? A dry suit it? is really, um, well, my dry suits are full body suits that have sealed gaskets at my wrist and my neck. And mine have booties in them. So my when I step into my dry suit, it zips up. It has a waterproof zipper. And I'm totally dry except for my head. So if I were to go in the water, I would be totally dry, except my, <clears throat> excuse me, my hands and my head. Um, but it doesn't keep me warm. It only keeps me dry. So I need to dress for the temperature still of the water when I wear my dry suit. Because if I were to wear my shorts and a T-shirt under my dry suit and then I go in the water, I'm still going to be freezing. Um, so a dry suit, not everyone can afford a dry suit, although there are some companies, and there's a company in Maine recently that I heard about that's making some relatively reasonably inexpensive dry suits. Um, so I would be wearing a dry suit this time of year. And when I whitewater kayak, unless the water has gotten a little bit warmer, I'm wearing a dry suit, um, certainly on the ocean. Um, if you don't have a dry suit, um, then you shouldn't be making any big crossings and going any distance from land. I, I feel a little bit strongly about that people should dress for their experience level. So um, other things that people can wear, as I always tell people, you can wear anything that you would hike, ski, bike, run in, you know, warm clothing, like your ski clothes work really well this time of year. So if you're wearing something synthetic and you were to go in the water and you were near land or you could get into your boat quickly, synthetic fabrics keep you warm longer. Um, if you're wearing cotton, I was once on an island in Panama with a friend who was wearing cotton, and all I was wearing was a bathing suit, and she was really getting hypothermic from the air. And I was wearing a bathing suit, and I was in synthetic clothes, and I was just fine. So I think the importance of synthetic clothing is huge. This time of year, if you were going to do any big paddling, one, you want a boat with sealed bulkheads. A dry suit is the best outfit that's going to buy you more time. Like your stats about times, that dry suit's going to buy you more time with synthetic clothing underneath. Um, if you're not, if you don't have a dry suit, wetsuits can buy you some time. Um, a lot of people advocate for wetsuits. Um, wetsuits, I think it's really good to have a layer over them, like a waterproof layer, because a wetsuit is really designed for you to have water in the wetsuit, and then your body heats up that water. Um, so wetsuits are a, another good alternative. I personally personally like something that has um, air chambers that's synthetic, like a, fl- a fleece that has air chambers and that's waterproof so that I can um, perspire safely. So synthetic fabrics are really what you want to think about. Right, and great points, Karen. And, and you know, just... F- to let everybody know what we wear, you know, at the Coast Guard for us to go get underway on a boat. Uh, we're ob- uh, obviously wearing a dry suit as well. And we wear a three-layer system, layer uh, a base layer, layer one, a layer two, and obviously layer three is is the actual dry suit itself. So uh, going along the same lines as what you uh, recommend, uh, obviously that's what we'd be recommending because that's what we do as well. And if you don't have a dry suit and you want to go – Let's just say you decided you wanted to paddle from Castine to Islesboro and you don't have the proper clothing, then you shouldn't go. 
you know, that's the bottom line. This time of year, it's it's really nothing to mess around with. Yeah. So, you know, this time of year, I'm recommending that people paddle in, you know, small ponds or, you know, there's a lot of us that are paddling some of the rivers. You're nearer land. Your risk factors are a little less than big ocean crossings. So when you do a big crossing, you really need to be prepared for that ocean crossing. And maybe this is the time to touch on the what happens when you go into the water. Yeah, let me just let folks who are just tuning in, um, you're listening to Coastal Conversations on WERU Community Radio, and our topic today is um, cold water safety. What do you need to do to keep yourself safe when you head out to the water um, in your kayak or other vessel? And my guests in the studio are Petty Officer Michael Miller of the U.S. Coast Guard um, in Southwest Harbor, and we have Karen Francoeur of Casting Kayak Adventures, um, and we'll have another person join us on the line here in just a few minutes. Um, Yeah, so what happens when you're in the water? So one of the hardest things that I always have is preaching safety because you always want... I always want people to love kayaking, you know, because I love kayaking. It's my favorite thing to do. Well, snorkeling too. But one of the things, no matter what you do, you want to learn what are the risk factors so that you can really enjoy a sport. So if you really find out what can happen, then you can prepare for it and then you can have a really good time. So sometimes I think when we're preaching all the horrible things that can happen, people kind of back off and say, oh, I don't ever want to do that. But if you do it safely, then you can do the sport and you can enjoy the sport. So I think it's really good to know what can happen. Um, So if you, one of the things is to avoid capsizing. So if you get good instruction and you learn how to paddle properly and you get a craft that fits you and that's outfitted properly, then your risk factor is much less that you're going to capsize. So if you just jump in a boat and you've never had anyone teach you how to paddle properly, that's kind of an issue. Um, So first you want to avoid it through education. But when you do go in the water, if you were to go into the water, um, and the water could be 41 degrees today or it could be 65 degrees in September when our water is warmer. When you hit the water, your face and body goes underwater almost no matter what you're wearing. If you're wearing warmer clothes, the impact is going to be less. But when you hit the water and come up, you're going to have this cold water response. So you're probably going to come up out of the water gasping for air. And when that happens, that's a very scary feeling that you can't breathe and you're trying to catch your breath. That's probably, it's called a gasp reflex. And you're, that's probably going to happen for a minute. But within a minute, you will be able to get your breath. So it's really important to know that that's going to happen. So when it's happening, you can be like, okay, this is going to get over in a minute. And in a minute, then you're going to regain your composure. And that's the time that you want to know how to reenter your boat. So you probably have, based on um, Mike's statistics, if you think about that you have an hour, you might have an hour to survive or you might have two or three hours to survive, but you're not going to have an hour to function. So I'm sure everyone's experienced this when you're, when you're skiing or you're walking and your hands get really cold and all of a sudden like you can't even operate the key and you can't, you know, you can't do anything with your hands. Well, you probably have about less than 10 minutes to be able to function. So to use your hands. If you can't use your hands, you can't get yourself back in your boat. So it's really important that you have the gear that you need 
to re-enter your boat to get out of the water. Um, so you want to think you have one minute to catch your breath. You've got 10 minutes to get in your boat. Um, and it, within that 10 minutes, you, you might be able to roll. I can roll my kayak, but I still always carry a paddle float, which is an inflatable device that I can blow up to use as an outrigger to reenter my boat. And the other emergency equipment that I always carry is a pump. And let, let's come back to emergency equipment in just a minute. Um, you mentioned uh, the importance of getting some instruction, and I believe that we have Maria Janess on the line. Um, Maria Janess is the president of the Maine Association of Sea Kayak Guides and Instructors and is also um, a staff person at the Maine Island Trail Association. Maria, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, so we've been having a great conversation here about um, cold water safety, <clears throat> and we were um, just referring to the importance of having some great instruction before you head out. So tell us a little bit about what the Maine Association of Sea Kayak Guides and Instructors does. Yeah, so it's a professional association of, as the name implies, guides and instructors. So a lot of individual guides and outfitters and it's really kind of a resource both for those in the industry and those who are kind of new to the sport. So if there's a novice paddler who's looking for a guide for either tours or lessons or guide training courses, such as the one that Karen does, um, and I've helped teach courses like that as well, it's a place that you can go and you know, find guides. It's kind of a, not clearinghouse, but it's a, a resource to find guides for novice paddlers and then for people who are in the industry guides it's a you know if you're a member it kind of helps um you you find professional development opportunities is something we're really working on expanding so in the winter down in southern maine in the portland area there are pool sessions so we maskey organizes um basically open pool sessions people can go of all abilities and work on their you know re-entry techniques their rolling whatever it is they want to work on and there are all sorts of maskey members there to kind of help out um which is nice to have folks just kind of sharing their knowledge and helping each other. And, and then we're looking. Go ahead. What, what's the, um, what would you recommend for folks who want to get into um, the opportunity to see kayak on the ocean? What would you recommend they get for instruction? What would you say is the bare uh, minimum? I mean, the bare minimum is they're just wanting to go out. Going on a tour is a great way to go out with someone who's experienced or if you can find an experienced person to go with you. Um, I mean, really... Before you're talking about re-entry, you know, the, there's some basic instruction as far as, you know, how to stay upright in the first place. So that's kind of what the first step is, you know, basic paddling techniques and strokes and, you know, stability um, topics like that. Uh, so that kind of any sort of guided tour that you do will give you that, that minimum instruction. Yeah, go ahead, Karen. Um, I'd like to add to that that it is a great way to start kayaking is to take a guided tour, for sure. You'll definitely learn the basics. One thing that I'd want to caution people on is a guided tour. If you go on a guided tour for a three-hour tour and you paddle your boat and you learn the basics of paddling, I don't feel that that makes you a safe kayaker on your own. I feel that anyone who's going to paddle on their own should know how to reenter their boat, and that's when, when I have people that come to me that want to rent a boat, that's the first question I ask is, do you know how and have you practiced how to reenter your boat? Because that's what makes you safe. So I think that's a very important skill. In our beginner classes, that's we always teach reentries. And people should paddle 
based on their ability. If they can re-enter their boat by themselves, then now maybe they're ready to paddle on their own. Um, if they can only re-enter a boat with the assistance of a partner, then they should paddle with a partner who is within easy talking distance and in in reach to help them. So I think that re-entering a kayak is a really key, important skill to have. Great. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point that, you know, kind of a tour is, you know, a great introduction. And then if you're planning to go out on your own and wanting to get into it more on your own, a lesson, you know, definitely practicing those skills and going yeah. out a great way to do it, you know, after you've taken a lesson where you learn the reentry techniques, you know, go out with a friend to a pond where it's warm in the middle of the summer and really practice. Don't just say, okay, I did it once in a lesson and then think that you're going to be good to go. I think for no matter what your paddling skill level is, you know, continually working on your skills and trying to improve them is really important nice absolutely uh and that's something that i wanted to point out from you know coast guard perspective as well that that new and in, uh, inexperienced paddlers whether regardless of your your uh your training level or expertise you should seek out paddler education before you ever head out on the water and you know things like the coast guard auxiliary now offers the paddle sports of america course um it's a four-hour classroom-based introduction to paddling safety techniques and safety uh, uh, strategies. Great. And, uh, uh, Maria, let us know, what are some of the other resources that folks can uh, can find? Um, speaking of kind of within Maskey, what we provide. Um, yeah. Is, yeah, we've got, um, like I said, there's all sorts of resources for everything from the tours to lessons, you know, individual, private, or group lessons to guide training. So it kind of runs the whole gamut uh, with what our members offer. Um, and and I- then professional development and hire, you know, there are a lot of our members who are also um, ACA, which is the American Canoe Association, and then there's BCU, British Canoe Union. So those are different um, kind of levels that you can take courses and you get certified at these varying levels. Those are other kind of avenues to go if you're looking to improve your skills. Great. I think one of the um, one of the things that people can really think about in Maskey, uh, the Maine Sea Kayak Guides Association, does a very good job with this. If you were to go to the Maskey website and um, look at different outfitters in your area, I think that all of us as outfitters really believe in kayak safety, and I think that you'd find that the outfitters in your area run classes. So, you know, we at Casting Kayak run classes in the Casting and um, Blue Hill Peninsula and Bangor area. Um, and we have a whole series of classes that go at different levels. And I think that, you know, if you lived in Portland, companies down there are running classes. So for someone who really wants to get into kayaking, I think going out with an outfitter, when you go with an outfitter on a tour, it's okay to be a beginner because you have a, a sea kayak guide. In Maine, we're registered and licensed as guides, and so we all have a level of training um, that you can count on. And those people are going to keep you safe, and, and you're going to have a good experience. But when you want to learn to be an independent kayaker, going to the Maskey website or doing a search of outfitters in your area, I think that all of us along the whole coast of Maine offer courses. So... Um, it's kind of nice to do it in your area because then you meet people who are in your area um, or you can take classes in another area to try that area out. But we all have pretty structured, nice classes. So I think that's a great way to learn. Great. Yeah, um, I think, yeah, I think um, a point along with that, Karen, is you, know, you make a great point about going, you know, your local resources and finding 
your local outfitter or guide is a great introduction to your local paddling community. You know, it's a way to meet people who you might want to paddle with. So beyond classes, just people who would get together socially and go out and, you know, it's all, you're always safer going out with other paddlers. So that's a great way to meet other people who are into the activity in your area. Um, Absolutely. And I find that's always a challenge with people that they, you know, they want to paddle with other people, but meeting other people to paddle with. So a class is a great place to start. And there are some paddling clubs. Um, you always want to make sure if you join a club, um, and they're doing paddles that you're paddling, people are paddling safe crafts in the area where they're paddling. So always be willing to say, oh, wait, I don't think that boat really belongs on the ocean. Or you need to know what you need to know. And a class certainly helps with that. And Maria, can you talk a little bit about um, the, I know the Main Island Trail where you work, in addition to your role as the president of the Guides Association, um, you you guys help try to connect people who are looking to for paddling partners so that they can go out. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to mention that. Uh, it's kind of perfect segue. MIDA, uh, the Main Island Trail Association, a couple of years ago launched a meetup site. So meetup is a social media platform using all sorts of kind of different areas where people just, you know, post a meetup and say, hey, let's get together and go do X. And so we posted one to help boaters of all kinds. Um, and it tended to be primarily paddlers that have used it so far. You, know, you post a trip um, and say, I want to go paddle here. And it's a way to find people to go with you. Uh, if you're an experienced paddler, we have a a little bit of a vetting process for who can be a trip leader and post events. And then, you know, anyone who's looking for, you know, people to paddle with can go to that meetup site and look and see where there are meetups scheduled. And it's a great way if you want to paddle somewhere that's less familiar to you or you haven't been before. Um, the Southern Maine Sea Kayaking Network also has a meetup site and they post a lot of trips. One important thing to note is that, you know, these are not guided trips. You know, they're all free. It's just a social gathering of people going together. So, you know, always being aware and making sure, like Karen said, that you've got the right equipment and that, you know, it's it's not a guy leading it. It's a very different dynamic. Um, but it's a great way to meet meet other people and find out about trips um, that you can go on. Great. Um, before we let you go, do you have any parting thoughts um, in terms of safety in the cold water? I think you guys have been listening in. Um, you guys have really <laughs> been doing a great job covering all of it. And I know we've kind of talked a lot about what we've talked a lot about the weather today and what is, you know, kind of foggy and misty, but also thinking about, you know, tomorrow is going to be down in kind of the mid-coast where I live. It's supposed to be 70 degrees and sunny, mm-hmm. but the water temperature is still 41. Um, so as, you know, Karen was discussing with what you're wearing, you know, it's when people check the weather when they're going out to recreate, they're often just looking at the, the air temperature and what the forecast is going on there, but just reiterating what you have all said that, you know, thinking about the water temperature and you know, t-shirt and shorts is going to feel great walking around. But um, even if it feels a little stuffy sometimes getting in the boat, you know, all you have to do is dunk yourself in the water and you'll cool off very quickly if you're in a dry suit. So, Great. Thanks yeah, so much, Maria. That. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. Great to have you on the show. Take care. Um, so that was Maria Janess, who is um, the president of the Maine Association of Sea Kayak Guides and Instructors. Um, and if you're just joining us on the show, um, we are talking about safety in the cold water on the coast of Maine, particularly for kayakers and other boaters. And in the studio with me right now, um, I have Chief Petty, of- no, Petty Officer uh, Mike Miller of the U.S. Coast Guard in Southwest Harbor and Karen Francoeur of Castine Kayak Adventures. And if you have any thoughts out there, listeners, um, about uh, cold water safety or if you have any experiences that you've had in the cold water that you wanted to share, um, 
things that may have happened to you or questions that you might have for these guys about how to be safe um, on the water, we'd love to hear from you. Um, the number is one 625 9378 That's 1-866-625-WERU. Um, and, uh, I, for for just a brief minute, um, I just wanted to go down the the road of sort of the worst case scenario here for a second, um, and maybe get a sense from um, Petty Officer Miller um, in terms of tragedies out there. Um, not the specifics, but what are we what are we seeing? What are the trends um, in overall sort of recreational boating safety and fatalities? Well, let me start off. Um, thanks, Anna. Let me let me start off by kind of introducing. A current initiative that's going on in the Coast Guard, and it's uh, the, the U.S. Coast Guard's first district paddle craft safety work group charter was implemented about three months ago, and, and I'm fortunate enough to be uh, a part of that. And the they, they share some statistics, which I'll read here in in, in just a second. Um, however, I wanted to share the purpose. The purpose of this charter is it's, it establishes the first district paddle craft safety work group. Um, the fundamental purpose of this uh, work group is to increase paddlecraft safety awareness, focus on uh, education, outreach, and enforcement efforts, and ultimately it reduces paddlecraft fatalities. And that kind of leads into, you know, some a little, a little bit more of the grim part of it, if you will, in the 2016 uh, statistics, if you will, 29 of the 40, uh, 29 of the 49 recreational boating fata- boating fatalities in New England involve paddlecraft. Now, uh, that's a that's, to me that's a, obviously a, as well as the Coast Guard that's an unacceptable number. Um, tragically, though, most of these deaths were easily preventable through the use of basic safety equipment required by federal law, which is you know what we do on a day to day basis. Which um, I'll get into in, in just a minute. Um, Drowning after falling overboard or capsizing account for 25 of the 29 of those deaths. 24 of those victims were recovered not wearing a PFD. Mm. So that's mm. going to lead right into the segue of, you know, we've talked about cold water. We've talked yeah. about, you know, immersion suits. But primarily and most important, wear a life vest. Yeah. Can I make a point to that? So, um We did have a death that happened last year, and I posted um, on Facebook on Casting Kayak, and I also posted on my personal one to my friends that the importance of wearing a life jacket is so important. Um, One, as adults, if we don't model wearing life jackets, then children see that modeling, and when they get older, they feel like they don't have to wear it. And it was... So I wrote this very strong opinion, and I've promoted life jacket safety through instruction my entire career. Um, but I, I, a friend texted me and said, wow, Karen, you're really bumming me out. Like, I live on the river, and, you know, the river's not that cold. And actually, we, we had a death on a river um, with a person not wearing a life jacket. Um, and I said, well, but you should wear it. Because you could hit your head or you could have a heart attack or you could. And we had this exchange back and forth about how I was bumming him out being so goody goody about wearing a life jacket. And finally, he sent me a text and said, I get it. You're right. But it's amazing how hard it is 
to influence people the importance of life jacket safety. I always tell people I, I wear a life jacket that I really, really like, and I spend a lot of time looking for it, and it fits me, and it's got all my good stuff in the pockets. you you got to make a good one. I At my company, when we have children come out, we have really nice life jackets for children, and nine times out of ten, they'll go, wow, this is really nice. You know, and you've got to influence everyone that a life jacket can be really nice. And it just has to become part of what you wear. And it it is a tough, it's a tough sell with people. They think if they're on a pond or they're on a, on a lake or they're on their hometown river, it's no big deal. But it is a big deal. And it saves you. Absolutely. And, I, and, and, and great points, Karen. And I think that most people don't, just as you said, most people don't realize they take it for granted. They get complacent, yeah. you know, in, in reality. And I think it's a, a, an appropriate time to kind of share and uh, refresh the, uh, everyone, the listener's memory that in the state of Maine, uh, first and foremost, children under the age of 11 must wear a life jacket while on, uh, on a paddle craft, period. No questions asked. All right. Now, does that say that, you know, Joe Boater, 45 years of age, you know, does that actually say he doesn't have to wear one? Sure, but he has to have one. And most importantly, though, again, you have to, in, in, in my business, I kind of look at it as, you know, the, uh, the worst case scenario backwards. And you've got to think, as you, as you said, Karen, what if you fall and hit your head and you may be an Olympic swimmer? You're not going to be uh, doing yourself any good without a life jacket. So most importantly, one of the the important messages um, that I think we want to get across today is wearing a life jacket. Regardless of the condition, regardless of your experience level, wear a life jacket. Right. Like I'm a really good swimmer and I wear my life jacket all the time. And I think as parents, we want to model by example. And I can't tell you the number of parents that I see not wearing a life jacket, but their children are wearing them, which is great that their children are wearing them. But if something happens to you, like a lot of times people think they're near land and we have coastal water or we have rivers that flow. And sometimes you actually can't get to land because you're caught in that current. So then if you're spending that amount of time in the water, you know, you're risking hypothermia. So you might get your kid in the boat and there have been situations where children have been gotten back in the boat and the parents have not been able to get in. Um, we started a Paddle Smart Safety Symposium in um, 2000 and we did it for 12 years, a free event in the Bangor area. And I did it with um, Al Johnson of the boating safety specialist with the Coast Guard. And one of the reasons that we started was there was a father who was in his canoe and had his child in, in the canoe with a life jacket. And this is a sad story, so prepare yourself. Um, but it, it, it motivates us to want to have outreach. It motivates us to not want it to happen again. Um, so the boat capsized. The father was able to get his son back in the boat. <clears throat> and then the father was not able to get back in the boat. He wasn't wearing a life jacket, and the kid watched his father drown. So then that could have all been avoided if the man had been wearing his life jacket. So it's, it's like when you get on a bicycle, I ride my bicycle and I put my helmet on every time because if, and I, I have fallen actually on my bicycle and slammed down on my helmet and gotten back up and gone, Oh my gosh, I'm fine. So the same with your life jacket. It's just a piece of equipment that you should wear when you're paddling. And let's talk about some of the other pieces of equipment um, from the perspective of the Coast Guard, what, what do you recommend that um, folks have 
Well, uh, of course, keep in mind that canoes, kayaks, they're all considered vessels. Okay, so um, with that being said, regardless of the length and location uh, used, you're required to be in compliance with navigational rules and um, all applicable carriage requirements for vessels of, the, of that type and size. So stand-up paddle boards, okay, which is a, you know another new huge trend uh, in the past four or five years. Yeah, so, I'm glad you're bringing that up because ex- that's growing quickly. Exactly. They're determined uh, uh, to be vessels as well. When used outside, you know, narrow limits of swimming or surfing areas, um, when operating outside these areas, stand-up paddle boards are required to be in compliance with navigational rules and all applicable carriage requirements for vessels of that type just the same. So when we're talking about, make sure we're clear, when we're talking about paddle craft, Battlecraft, we are talking about canoes, we are talking about kayaks, and we are talking about stand-up paddleboards. So with that, regulations, okay, PFD, okay, personal flotation device, but let's let's make it simple, a life vest. We've talked about that pretty extensively, a life vest. Most importantly, you have to have, you should wear it uh, at all times, but you do have to have it. One wearable life jacket for each person on board, okay? The... Uh, inflatable, you know, there there was a, there's a lot of uh, confusion sometimes about what an inflatable is, and does that count, if mm-hmm. you will, and no longer it does on on um, on uh, uh, paddlecraft. Uh, and, and, infl- and it does, or it does, it does not. not. It, it no does longer not. it does not. What, can you clarify that? Yeah, a type a, a, a type four, which is a throwable, um, if you will, PFD. Okay, does not count as that individual life vest on most kayaks because most kayaks are under 16 feet, and obviously stand up paddle boards in, in a lot of your canoes too, or some under are under 16 feet as well. So it doesn't count as that life vest you are required to wear. In a a, um, a basically a throwable is not required unless 16 foot or longer. So so in a 17 foot canoe, is someone supposed to have a throwable device? I'm, I'm sorry, say a, that again? What if it's a 17-foot canoe? Uh, they should have a throwable uh, PFD, or th- a throwable Type 4. They should have a throwable. And a throwable is one of is what people Typically refer to which, as a boat cushion. Yeah, right? it's that seat. It's like, that thing you or put a on ring your, or a buoy yeah, ring. It's yeah. that thing you put on your, you know, your, uh, your cooler to sit yeah, on or whatever right. it may be. Uh, uh, or you're right, or the little throwable ring. But you were talking about the inflatable life jackets. Okay, inflatable life jackets are ones that's going to automatically uh, inflate upon immersion into the water. Okay, first of all, we do recommend that you already have one that's inherently buoyant when you're in a kayak or a canoe. You recommend okay? that? We, re- we do recommend that. It is, that is one of the uh, press releases in the Coast Guard that it's a recommendation. Um, but, th- you know, that's a, that's a – I don't want to get too technical, but that's a type 5, an automatic inflatable, if you will, that's – based off water uh, immersion is a type five. I don't really want to get into that particular specs. Which is what uh, people that. are using a lot on the stand-up boards or right, inflatable. Because they're, they're, they're smaller, they're, they're, you know, they're really lightweight, and they, they sit next to you up against your body. Um, what else? Uh, and then we get into uh, sound-producing devices. Okay, so sound-producing devices, um, you know, a whistle. Okay, or a horn, or whatever it may be, some type of device to to make a large sound. And it's it's important to remember that uh, vessels less than twelve meters, which we're talking about here in kayaks and paddle, all paddlecraft sports, must have some means of making an efficient sound signal. Okay, so um, that's uh, basically the second thing. Life vest. Now we got a sound producing device. Now we get into visual distress signals. Visual distress signals are those things that you can see from you know distances. Um, and on all coastal waters. 
and high seas paddle crafts must carry suitable visual distress signals for night use between uh, sunset and sunrise. So if you're you got to re- remember if you're planning if you're an overnight kayaker or you're going out on one of these outfitting trips and you're you're paddling over to an island and you're camping you know you got to be thinking about these things that that is still a requirement if you're operating um, obviously between sunset and sunrise so we have life fest we have sound uh sound signals we have visual distress uh, signals uh and and in a minute we'll hear from karen about how to make that practical for a sea kayaker yeah. so this is great we'll hear from the coast guard perspective and then we'll do the practical applications exactly then next we got lights you know, basically under navigational rule 25, we talk about lights and any vessel under oars shall have an electronic uh, torch or lighted lantern that's showing a white light, which shall be exhibited in sufficient time to prevent a collision. Um, so don't forget your light. Um, Can I add to that? Absolutely. So a lot of times we do these nighttime tours. We take people out to see the bioluminescence in Casting Harbor and... A lot of times we'll see other people that will go out at night and think that they should have a flashing light. Like when you're riding your bicycle and you have your flashing light on the back, that allows cars to know that you're there and see you. But a flashing light means you're having an emergency on the water. So you don't really want a flashing light. You want a solid light. Correct. Correct. Great great point. I just wanted to interrupt you guys real quick because we have a caller um, and we'd love to hear from Nate in Ellsworth. Hi, Nate. Welcome to the program. Hi. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I uh, just wanted to make a comment about the uh, frequent use of the word experience um, and particularly in regards to some of the unfortunate incidents that we have every year on the water around here. Um, I run a, a kayak training company. Uh, in the Mount Desert Island area and down east coast. Um, so it's a, uh, an issue that um, I look into a fair amount. Um, we always see reports when there's a death on uh, in coastal kayaking in particular. The reports inevitably say this was an experienced kayaker. And yet uh, it's clear through looking into those reports that um, all the deaths that I'm familiar with have been attributable to some very basic um, lapses of uh, either training or judgment that anyone who has had basic training would be aware of. Um, So I'd like to make the distinction in people's minds between being experienced, which means you have done something uh, a number of times, versus being um, having expertise or having the appropriate training. Uh, We can do things wrong a lot of times and be considered experienced, and we can be uh, in danger every time we're doing it. And that is uh, ultimately what uh, falls the folks that have uh, been killed on the coast when they are paddling without an ability to reenter their kayak, as Karen has mentioned, the importance of that training, when they're not dressed appropriately for the conditions, when they um, haven't had the training of how to handle their kayaks, how to evaluate weather conditions and choose a safe trip and how to be prepared with both training and equipment for the uh, things that could happen. Um, So just wanted to make that distinction in everyone's mind that having done something many times does not, does not mean you're doing it safely or that you're prepared and that training with uh, a certified instructor, the ACA or the BCU is um, really the uh, safest way to uh, make sure that you as an independent kayaker, are uh, trained and prepared and have the expertise and the judgment that you need to be safe. 
and great. truly experienced. Thanks a bunch for your call, Nate. That's a great point. Appreciate your call about the distinction of just spending some time on the water versus getting some really concrete skills. Um, unfortunately, we're just about out of time. Um, we could probably have continued for a while. I know my uh, guests still had things that they wanted to say, um, but I just wanted to uh, thank Nate for calling and thank all of our listeners for um paying attention today and paying attention to cold water. Um, But we've come to the end of Coastal Conversations today about paddle safety, especially in cold waters in Maine in the spring. Um, I wanted to thank our guests for their time and good work on the water. So thanks so much, um, Petty Officer Mike Miller of the Coast Guard. Thanks for coming. Uh, Thanks, Natalie. Appreciate it. Great to have you. And thanks, Karen Francoeur of Castine Kayak Adventures for coming in today. Thanks for having me. Great. And also thanks to Maria Janesse, um, the uh, president of the Maine Association of sea kayak guides and instructors who called a little bit earlier um, and also works for the Maine Island Trail Association. Um, And just before we go, um, let me just ask these guys to share a couple websites um, where people can get more information. So Karen, what would you recommend um, people look to online to get more information about paddle safety? Well, you can certainly reach me at Casting Kayak Adventures. My website is um, castingkayak.com. And on our lesson page, we have a listing of our lessons. Um, you could also go to the Maine Sea Kayak Guides Association um, and search um, for outfitters in your area. So I think if you just put in Maine Sea Kayak Guides and instructors, you'll get it. I don't have it memorized. It'll take you to the website. It'll take you right to the great. website. Great. Good old Google. Yeah, great. How about from the Coast Guard perspective? Any um, last-minute recommendations you yeah, make for resources? Yeah, last minute, uh, Natalie. The, there's, a, uh, there's a couple. U.S. Coast Guard's boating safety webpage, which is uscgboating.org. Um, another one is Safe Boating Course uh, webpage, which is the same, uscgboating.org uh, backslash safety boating. Um, there's the National Safe Boating Council, which is uh, safeboatingcouncil.org. And, uh, and maybe another one could be something as simple as life jacket inf- uh, information. We don't want to forget uh, stuff like that. Um, boating under the influence, you know, Coast Guard auxiliary web pages, you know, rip currents, American Canoe Association, et cetera. Great, great. I know there's several topics that we didn't touch on, like um, marine radios. So, um, We have much more to talk about another day, but Coastal Conversations has come to an end. So thanks, folks. Um, Coastal Conversations is produced with support from the Maine Sea Grant Program at the University of Maine, bringing marine science to Maine people. Join us from 10 to 11 a.m. on the fourth Friday of each month. Our next show will be about fisheries issues down east. Um, Our show's theme music, A Following Sea, was composed and performed by Paul Anderson. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program. And stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant, host of Coastal Conversations, wishing you a good morning. Support for WERU comes from our listeners 